invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, preaching through John this summer. So if you're interested in following along when you're not here, you can go back and watch the old Facebook Lives, or you can um, listen to us on iTunes. But the Gospel of John, the title of the message is, What Would Jesus Do? Anybody remember the bracelets we used to wear, the WWJD bracelets? I've got one. Anybody remember that? Anybody wearing one right now? Way to go. So WWJD. It's actually a line from a book that was written in the late 1800s called In His Steps, What Would Jesus Do? But around the 1990s, they came out with a neat little witnessing tool, What Would Jesus Do? And uh, I, did, I did ask a, a girl one time at the checkout line, I don't remember what store it was, but I asked she had one on. And I knew what it meant, but I wanted her to have an opportunity to tell me, so I said, what am I doing wrong? Okay, I'll try to stand still. Uh, that's going to be real hard. I asked her, I said, so what does that bracelet mean? She said, I don't know. I just thought it looked cool. So what it means is, what would Jesus do? So I asked my children when they were a lot younger, this was in the early 90s. Let's try something else, Casey. Do what? are laughing. You don't know what's coming. I need this mic to work. Um, I asked my children when they were a lot younger, I said, would Jesus wear a WWJD bracelet? My youngest daughter said, no. I thought, so what's wrong with the bracelet? She said, he'd wear a WWID bracelet. What would I do? This is Casey Clark. He's our facilities director here. like nothing's going on uh, last week. If you're watching, if you're one of the millions watching on Facebook Live right now, what we're having is technical difficulties. So I'd like to give this to somebody who would like this and would actually wear it. Well, I got good news for you. I got more than one. That one just fell on the floor. So if you can bear with this, I, I can do without this once I do this, but I'm going to sanitize my hands. This is not a promotion. We do not.
Can you hear me? Sounds a little hollow. Sounds like a room filled with empty people. All right, that was whoa. That was more trouble than it was worth. But here's the point. What would Jesus do? That's what we're going to look at in the passage this morning. And so just if you're following along, two things in, in particular Jesus would do. He would perfectly obey the Father. He'd perfectly follow the Father. And the second thing is he would give life. So let's look at the passage of Scripture, John's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 18. In fact, I'm just going to read verse 18, and we'll kind of walk through to 24 this morning. And I love hearing pages turn, so thank you all for bringing your Bibles. John 5, 18. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling, him, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So let's stop there a minute. For this reason, also, or for this reason, therefore. You've heard me say before, if you see in Scripture the word therefore, you need to back up and find out what it's there for. But especially when it's this long of a phrase, for this reason, Therefore, so we've got to figure out what's just happened. Okay, Towards the end of chapter 4, Jesus is away from Jerusalem, but at the first of chapter 5, he's gone back to a feast in Jerusalem. And he goes to the pool of Bethesda, which if you've ever been to Israel, you got the Temple Mound, you walk off the Temple Mound over towards St. Anne's Church, which, which was not there in the time of Christ, and you come to the pool of Bethesda. This was a large kind of two pools with these colonnades around it, and people thought, and there's some, some translations have a, a verse in there that says the Spirit of the Lord would come and stir up the waters, but some scholars don't believe that belonged there. So I'm not going to preach on whether I think the angel did this or something else, but people believed that if you were the first one in the water, whatever your infirmity was, you would be healed. So Jesus goes to that pool, and he meets a man that has been infirmed. He's been probably an invalid or a cripple for 30 Eight years. Apparently, from the rest of the passage, he wasn't born with this infirmity. It happened at some point earlier in life. But for 38 years, he had come to this pool. Somebody probably had to help him get to the pool. And he had the hope that when the water stirred, if I can be the first one in, I'll be healed. That's the man that Jesus approaches and asks this question. Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be healed? Why would you ask that question? Wouldn't you assume that he wants to be healed because he's at the pool? And yet the truth of the matter is, what would, if, what would change in this man's life if he were healed? He'd have to start taking care of himself. And maybe some people, 38 years into something, are just kind of used to that, and they don't want anything to really change. But Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? And the man doesn't say yes. What the man says is, well, here's the problem. When the water stirs, somebody always gets to the pool before me. Which I'm thinking, why don't you just go sit in the pool? Have you ever thought that when you read this passage? Why don't you stand right beside it so you can be the first one in? I don't know. I do know they had colonnades, which were coverings, and apparently this didn't happen every day. But you were there every day hoping that the water would stir, and perhaps just you were under these coverings to stay out of the weather. And when the water stirred, whoever the first one in would get healed. 
And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be made well? And the guy says, well, here's the problem. I can't get in the water quick enough. He doesn't know who Jesus is. We find that later on in the passage because they ask him who heals him. He says, I don't know the guy's name. All I know is he said to me, get up, take your pallet, and walk. And that's exactly what Jesus says in these first nine verses of chapter 5. Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. So the man's healed. One problem. Verse 9. It was on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. So this man is walking around the temple courtyard. People probably had to recognize, this is that guy that's always laying over by the pool. We didn't know he could walk. Well, he couldn't for 38 years. And the religious leaders come to him, and they're ticked off. Why are they ticked off? Because Jesus healed him on the Sabbath. This isn't the first time Jesus healed somebody on the Sabbath. You remember the man that was born blind? Jesus spit on the ground and made some mud and smeared it on his eyes and healed him of blindness, and it was on the Sabbath. And not only was it illegal in their mind to heal somebody on the Sabbath, it was, it was illegal to spit and create mud on the Sabbath. What's Jesus teaching them about the Sabbath? He's teaching them that man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. And yes, it's part of the Ten Commandments, but the Jewish people had added law on top of law on top of law to burden people over what you could do on the Sabbath. The interesting thing is Jesus doesn't heal anybody else. This place had to have been crowded at the pool because everybody's waiting on the water to stir. And when the water stirs, they're going to try to be the first one in. First come, first serve. That's probably where that first came from. I made that up. But Jesus, it says, because it was so crowded, he kind of disappeared. And so when the Jewish leaders asked this guy, who healed you? I don't know. All I know is he told me to get up, take up my bed or my pallet, and go home. And I went home. Well, he didn't go home. He went over to the temple. And they are ticked off. They're livid because Jesus has done this. So we get to verse 18. For this reason, all the more. What that means is they had already wanted to get rid of Jesus. They had already been seeking to get rid of Christ. But because of what he did on the Sabbath, he broke their Sabbath. And worse than that, He claimed to be equal with God. He called God my Father. Now, in their synagogues, they would would pray to God and call him our Father, collectively, the nation of Israel. You're the Father of the nation of Israel. But they accused Jesus of claiming to be equal with God. Well, you and I know the answer. Is he equal with God? Yes. He's part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Equal. Distinct roles, but equal. And so they are livid that he heals on the Sabbath. So he's breaking one of their laws, and he's claiming to be equal with God. And so what are they going to do about it? They're going to kill him. Now, it's not going to happen right away, but that's why Jesus at times leaves Jerusalem and goes back to Galilee to get away from that pressure and that intense scrutiny and that desire to put him to death because it wasn't his time yet, and yet that's exactly what he came for. He came to be crucified on the cross for me and you. So if God came to you today and said, do you want to be healed? Would you say yes? And maybe you're able to walk in here so it's not an infirmity, 
But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the greatest healing that ever takes place is when somebody comes to faith in Christ. And so my prayer for you today, if you don't know Jesus, I pray you'd be healed today. If you're struggling with something in your walk with Christ, I pray you'd be healed today. Let me read the next couple of verses because Jesus perfectly followed the Father. Verses 19 and 20. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all the things that he himself is doing. And the Father will show him greater works than these so that you marvel. So this is Jesus' response to the religious leaders to say, first of all, truly, truly. Literally, trustworthy, firm. It means without possibility of contradiction. And he uses it in this chapter three times. Truly, truly, I say to you, which literally means listen up, because what I'm about to say is the truth without any contradiction, although the Jewish people were going to contradict it. But Jesus says truly, truly, the son can do nothing of himself unless he sees the father doing it. So what would Jesus do? It's throughout the Gospel of John in more than one place. Jesus would perfectly obey the Father. He came sent from heaven. He left heaven. He left the joy, the majesty of heaven. Came to earth. And he didn't just show up one day when he was 30 years old to be baptized. He was born and placed in a manger. He gave up all of heaven and came to earth to be born into obscurity and to live a perfect, sinless life. And when he was about 30 years old, he's baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. He had about a three-year ministry before ultimately he would be put to death. But he perfectly obeys the Father. So whatever the Father does, the Son does in like manner. You ever play follow the leader? I won't play it this morning. You ever play follow the leader? What do you do? Whoever the leader is does something, and however many people behind him or her do whatever they do, right? That's what Jesus was doing. It wasn't a game. But he did what he saw the Father doing. So I was studying this passage. It reminded me of my oldest son. I worked in the yard one day, and I think I'd aerated the yard and planted some seed and all this, some grass seed. And when I finished, I was just sweating, ready to be done, get a shower. He said, Dad, you did five things. And he reminded me of all five things. I thought he had paid attention. Come to find out one of his favorite activities is working in the yard. We used to punish him by not letting him cut the grass. Any parents want a son like that <laughs> or a daughter like that? You'd ask him who his heroes were. It was the guy that owned the landscape company. He just, he just loved working out in the yard. He had his own little plastic mower. He used to follow me around when I was pushing the lawnmower. He'd follow me. One day a lady stopped and said, that's the cutest thing I've ever seen. Can I take a picture? I'm like, knock yourself out. We're just trying to cut grass here. About a week later, she came back and said, I brought you a copy of that. I was like, I see it every week. I got the video mentally ingrained in my mind. But what was my son doing? He was doing what he saw his father doing. That's what Jesus did. Jesus came and perfectly fulfilled the will of God because what did he do? He did what he saw the father doing. So he perfectly obeyed God. Because the Father loves the Son. That's a significant phrase in this passage. 
a couple of times at least in, in the Gospels, we hear God speak from heaven and say, this is my beloved son. This is my son whom I love. When Jesus was baptized, a voice out of heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then on the Mount of Transfiguration, took it a little bit into more depth. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. <laughs> Why? Because he's doing what I sent him to do. Jesus is perfectly fulfilling the will of the Father, which makes it so incredible what happens at the cross. On the night that he's arrested, Jesus prays to the Father, who he had perfect fellowship with, and says, Father, if there's any other way. Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was ahead of him. Is there any other way that we can accomplish the mission, which is to redeem mankind? Is there any way we can do that other than me going to the cross? But what does Jesus say? Not my will, but your will be done. He perfectly obeyed the will of the Father, even by going to the cross. And when Jesus is on the cross, you remember one of the last things he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in his entire, in, in eternity, because he's eternal, for the first time ever, he didn't enjoy that perfect fellowship with the Father because God couldn't look on sin. God loved his son, but God hated sin. And for that brief period of time, Jesus felt like he was forsaken. The father loves the son. And he says the father shows him all things that he himself is doing. In fact, greater works than these. What you've seen, these healings, turning the water into the wine, there's greater works than that coming. A couple that come to mind, the divine work of giving eternal life. We're going to talk about that next point. But that's something you should marvel at, that Jesus is able to give life and the divine work of judgment. When's the last time you've marveled at something? Perhaps you just arrived yesterday or Friday at the beach and you walked out on the ocean and you just marveled at the power of the ocean. Maybe you went out at night and looked at the stars in the skies and you just marveled to realize those are part of God's creation. When's the last time you marveled at God? Just to say, God, you are awesome. Your ways are higher than my ways. Your ways are perfect. They're majestic. They're beautiful. Jesus says there's coming more greater works that you will marvel at. And then Jesus promised life. What would Jesus do? He'd perfectly obey the will of the Father. What would Jesus do? He would offer and give life. Verses 21 through 23. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so, the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Powerful words. Jesus, just like the Father raises the dead, Jesus raises the dead. And we're not just talking about physical. Jesus rose raised Lazarus from the dead, but it's really better than that. It's in a spiritual sense. Jesus goes to dead people who are dead spiritually and breathes life into them. Paul put it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, and really that whole passage is great, but let me just read two verses, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Talk, the first three verses talk about the fact we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our, trans in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So Jesus came to give life. Just as the Father gave life, so also he gives life. And then isn't it interesting? The Father doesn't judge anyone. He's given all judgment to his Son. Acts 17.31. Acts 17.31. Make a note. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Men and women, there's coming a day of judgment. When Jesus came the first time, he said, I didn't come to judge or condemn the world. I came so that you may have life. He came not to judge but to save. Right now, he's an advocate with the Father, according to 1 John. He's an advocate, sitting at the right hand of the Father, advocating on behalf of me and you. But there is coming a day when he's going to come as judge. He's going to judge the righteous and the unrighteous. And there's going to be some people that say, oh, Lord, didn't you see all this religious stuff I did? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's the judge. That's the condemnation that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's coming. One day he's coming to judge. 2 Timothy 4, 1 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. So Jesus came to offer life, but for those who reject life, you go back to the first chapter of John. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He came to the Jewish people who had the Old Testament that prophesied all these hundreds of prophecies about the coming of the Messiah. They were looking for the coming of the Messiah. But in the same way they had added law upon law to burden the people, they had also added burdens to the Messiah. So when Jesus came, it didn't fit into their box. It didn't fit into their plan. fit perfectly into the prophecy of the Old Testament. Obviously fit perfectly into the plan of God. But they missed it and still miss it because they can't see Jesus for who he really is. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior. And one day he's coming as judge to judge the living and the dead. Here's the great news. If you're a child of God, you've already passed the judgment. You're a child of God. You're a joint heir with Christ. You've been seated with him in heavenly places. The great thing about this judge is, if you've ever been in a courtroom, the judge, either he or she, sits behind a bench with this robe on. Nobody else in the courtroom wears robes. But Jesus took his robe off and left heaven to come to earth to live the same life you lived, and yet he lived it perfectly. And then he was crucified to pay the penalty for the sins of me and you. And so as, as I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, I've already passed that judgment. John 16, 2. Jesus speaking to his disciples says, There's coming a time when they're going to put you to death. They'll make you outcast from the synagogue, but an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think he's doing the will of God. So when they killed Jesus, they thought they were doing the will of God. When they killed the disciples, they thought they were doing the will of God because they were doing religious activity. They had missed the Messiah. Men and women, make sure you don't miss the Messiah. He says, those who do not honor the Father, those who do not honor the Son, do not honor the Father. If you'd asked 
the religious leaders, are you honoring God the Father? Oh, absolutely. How are you doing that? By keeping all these laws. And they didn't do a good job of that. But Jesus says when you honor the Son, you've honored the Father. And the Father's honor is not diminished. In fact, it's enhanced and increased when the Son is honored. If you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've already confessed that He is Lord. But there's coming a day when everybody's going to do it. Did you know that? Philippians chapter 2. There's coming a day when at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You and I will do it willingly because we already have if you're a child of God. But some will have to do it through clenched teeth because they rejected the Messiah. And yet his name is going to be glorified and it will bring honor to the Father. So let me close with this question, verse 24. So what do you do? What would Jesus do? He would perfectly obey the Father. What would Jesus do? He would bring life, offer salvation, by the way, to people who don't deserve it. So what do we do? Verse 24, here's those two words again. Truly, truly, without fear of contradiction, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. Jesus came to offer life. So simply put here, those who hear the words. How do you hear the words? Well, they're words. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. How will they hear if they don't have a preacher? Paul's not talking about vocational pastors. He's talking about you or me who give words, who share the word of God with people. So by words, not feelings, feelings follow the faith and the facts. By his word, we're healed. So two things, he who hears my word and him, he who believes him who sent me, literally to have faith in, has what? Eternal life. In fact, this same author, John, writes 1 John chapter 5. He says, I've written these things to you in order that you believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may have life with certainty. You can walk out of here this morning knowing that you're a child of God and you will spend eternity with God in heaven. Or you can do what the people did in the first chapter of John, reject the offer of eternal life. And judgment is coming. He says, you've received eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life that's interesting and when someone dies we say they have passed john says when somebody comes into life they've passed also when someone dies they die an earthly human death they pass from life to death hopefully they pass on to be in the presence of god but when you come to faith in jesus christ you pass from death into life and that's good news but it represents a major change. So my question is, have you been changed? I can tell you religion won't change you. It may make you bitter, but relationship with Jesus Christ will change you. It changes your outlook on life. It changes your attitude towards other people. It will change you. It will give you hope and joy. So if you're here this morning and you think, I don't have that, then you've got to ask the question, have I ever trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior? Have I ever been changed from death into life.
it's a big difference in religion and abundant life. There's two words that are used in Scripture for life. One's the Greek word bios, which is where we get biology from. It just means you got the necessary human components for life. But what Jesus offers is the word zoe, abundant life. And when does that start? Right now. Or it started the day you trusted Christ. And I love the fact these are past tense words, has. You have eternal life. You have passed from death into life. That's good news. Let's celebrate that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that the good news is really good news. God, you're not asking us to be more religious. You're inviting us into relationship with your son. And because of that, we can know Jesus. Because of that, we can be forgiven. Because of that, we can have life. We can pass from death into life. So, Father, impact our lives with the message of the gospel in John 5. Thank you for the promise. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth to live a perfect life, to be tempted in all the ways that I've been tempted and yet without sin, and to literally go to the cross to die in my place. Thank you for that. And that